Thanks, Mozzie. Morning, everyone. If you have a Bible or a phone or whatever, don't you want to head to Second uh, Peter chapter 1? If you're still finding your way around the Bible, it's like start at the back and work that way. It's, you'll get there much quicker. Um, we are, if you're visiting or new or, um, are we recording this one? Okay, if you're watching online, we had issues with the video thing in the, in the first service. Um, if you're watching online, we are in a series on the book of Mark. Uh, we've been doing that for like the longest time, <clears throat> but we're taking a four-week break, and we'll get back into it um, in two weeks, three weeks' time, and go through to Easter with that. But um, we're in a, a four-week break. This series, I'm going to explain uh, as a recap from last week, and if you're fresh for this week, why we're doing this. It's called reformation. Um, we're of the conviction that we are we're being shaped by, as people. Uh, our minds, our affections, our, our thoughts, the patterns of our lives have all been shaped um, by, I suppose, the, the system of the world in a way that has got nothing to do with the ways of Jesus. And uh, a part of being a faithful follower of Jesus is being, is being reformed, reshaped uh, in his ways and learning new ways of being and new, new thoughts and new desires and <clears throat> new practices and everything. And um, for this series, we're doing um, Gather, Grow, Give, Go. It's just an easy way for us to remember four uh, big buckets that are really important that shape the life of a believer. And we're using these four weeks to distill those seven um, values and character things that we want to be uh, as um, gospel-centered multiplying disciples. I, I, I worked through it last week. Uh, last week, I spoke on gather and the, the importance of gathering as a church, um, not just on a Sunday, but being part of the, the life of the church. Uh, you know, God is not impressed with church attendance. Uh, no one's actually impressed with church attendance. Uh, and it's, it's you, the phrase, you're doing it wrong, may not be the right phrase, but it is what goes through my head, like you're doing it wrong if you're just attending and you're not really in the life of, of a church. There's so much more um, that, that God wants for us. And so we don't just gather on Sundays, we gather as people and we share our lives together uh, and it makes it much richer and fuller and we are able to love each other and be loved. We are able to serve each other and be served and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and so last week we looked at gathering and we looked at be communal. This week we're looking to grow, and it's uh, the next two. It's be spirit empowered and be worshipful. Uh, I'm going to spend most of our time in the Second Peter passage, but I just wanted to touch on the be worshipful bit because uh, the be spirit empowered one I'm going to deal with in a bit more depth um, in the passage. Uh, if you've been around Parkhurst <clears throat> for a while, this will just be more of a reminder to you. Um, Paul's uh, message to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, it, it reads as, as follows. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, I understand that there's a lot in that verse and maybe a bit confusing. Let me try and explain what we understand at Parkhurst. We understand that every human being is a worshiper. God has made you to be a worshiper. 
That's how you're wired. Every human being worships something or someone. And we were made to worship God. And in our brokenness, we end up worshiping other things. We're meant to worship the creator, and we end up worshiping creation in all of its various forms. We worship people and money and looks and pleasure and a whole bunch of other things. But our conviction is this is how you, this is how you change, according to Paul. You, you look with an unveiled face. You look as if in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, and you are changed from one degree of glory into the next by the Lord who is the Spirit. So it's, we have the, the phrase, in what you behold, you become. What you worship, you become like. Um, what you look at, you become like that. Um, and that, that's a, a firm conviction of ours. We see it in the Scriptures here. And when we talk about being worshipful, this is our desire as a church, that we would be a worshipful people, that we, we look, as it were, at the Lord. We look at Jesus. We look at God. And in the looking, there's just lots of looking, we become like him. We become a worshipful people. We worship God. We don't worship sideways. We don't worship horizontally. We enjoy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying creation, the things God has given. But when our worship rests on the created things instead of the one who gave them, we have distorted things. Worship is meant to rest on the creator, not the creation. Uh, we get it the wrong way around, and it causes us all kinds of heartache uh, and dysfunction. So that's on the, very briefly, on the worshipful thing. There will be more to come uh, today and in the next few weeks on that. Let me read uh, this passage. Let's read it, 2 Peter chapter 1, and then I'm going to give you um, an idea of where we're going uh, this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1 from 3 verse two, uh, verses 3 to 15. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it's right as long as I'm in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Let's pray uh, together. 
Father, we thank you for uh, the gift of your word. And as we pray uh, and ask week after week, we, we need um, the help of the Holy Spirit to come and teach us um, what you mean and what you are revealing of yourself. And through your word, we pray now for the work of the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes that we could see what we need to see, our ears so that we can hear what we need to hear, and our hearts to receive <clears throat> from you. You have planned in advance to do uh, work in us, to, to convict us, to strengthen us, to love us, to shape us through your word. And so we look to you now. Yours is the, yours is the voice we most need to hear and the one we most long to hear. And we pray that you would be so powerfully evident amongst us as you teach us and help us and shape us now through your word for our good and for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I, before I dive into the points, I think I've got five points uh, if you're a note taker. Uh, I don't normally have points if you're a visitor, so today is a special day. I'm actually preaching with points and not just wafting on for however long. Um, but before I get to those, I just want to say this, like, uh, I was conscious at the 8 o'clock, so then I'm saying it now, I had some interactions with some people um, at the, after the 8, who not church going, people not Christians, a very interesting interaction. Hey, if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're not a Christian, we are so delighted that you are here uh, or that you're watching. Like, we love it that people are here engaging, thinking, whether you were dragged along uh, you know, and you'd rather be a million miles from here, but maybe you, that was one guy at the, at the 8 o'clock, he was like, when you said that, that was me. He was almost going to say amen, but he's an agnostic, so he couldn't say that. Um, and if you're here, that, that, that um, some, with some of the stuff we're going to talk about is growing as a Christian, you might be like, I'm not growing as a Christian, I don't even feel like I identify as a Christian. You've got so many questions, you're still figuring out, you're so welcome here, and uh, please continue to engage with us, lean in, listen to what... Um, uh, God is saying, you, no one is ever here or watching by mistake. And God is always been, he's always up to something. We know that now. So point number one of this. Speaking about growth, you, point number one is you already have everything you need. You already have everything that you need to grow as a Christian. How do I know that? Verse 3 says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You have everything you need. You don't need if your desire is to grow as a Christian. And I'm making some, I'm making some leaps this morning. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, most of you aren't here against your will that most people want to grow as a Christian. You come to church, you hang out with other believers because you, you want to grow as a, as a Christian. You want to know more of the Lord. You, you want your character to be transformed. You want to enjoy more of God, more of the life that God wants for you. I'm making those assumptions. And uh, as you desire to grow, this is really good news, that if you want to grow, you already have everything that you need to grow. You don't need to level up. You don't need a, a, a you know, security patch bolt on. You don't need like an upgrade of something. You're not deficient in any way. And the, but Peter's point is you already have, the divine power has given you everything 
that you need to live a godly life in Christ. Now, how does this happen? Well, it happens because you get indwelt, you get um, taken over by the Holy Spirit. God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you. Um, oversimplifications don't always work, and you may think this is an oversimplification. I think it's true, though, according to this, the Scriptures. There are, the world can be divided into two types of people, two groups of people. Those who are full of the Spirit and who have access to divine power, and those who don't. These people are believers in Jesus. They've committed, they've placed faith in him. They've been made alive in Christ. They would call themselves Christians, born again, whatever. Like, um, you know God, and you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You have divine power in you. If you're still figuring it out or on a journey to um, faith or an agnostic or whatever, that's the rest of the world. No divine power. Unable to change, able to change. Able to grow and be transformed in character to Christ-likeness, unable. It's the divine power that changes us. Listen to what he says there. It's the divine power um, to live a godly life, we need for a godly life, through our knowledge of him. Knowledge of him. Not knowledge about him, knowledge of him. There's a difference knowing about God and knowing God. Would you agree? I mean, have, has some of your journey been that? Some of you maybe grew up in a Christian home. You knew about God. You knew a whole bunch of stuff about God, but you didn't know him. And then at a point, you, you, came, you came to know God. That was part of my story. Uh, I got dragged to church. from My mom was reminding me the other day that uh, I've been going to church since I was six weeks old. Uh, I think she th- feels like, I did a good job. Mom, if you're watching, you did a good job. She dragged me off to church from six weeks. You know, but I, I wondered, and I, my heart wasn't in it until God made me alive when I was 17. And then I knew God. I knew a whole bunch of stuff about God. I could tell you all the books of the Bible in order. I've got a smart box of smarties for that. Story after story, I knew it all. Um, but I didn't know God. I just knew about him. And maybe that's some of your story. You know a lot about him but you don't know him. There's a difference, and the Spirit makes all the difference. Divine power makes all the difference so that you can know God, not know about him. We're not designed to know about him. We're designed to, to know him, not be uh, pen pals you know, with God. Like It was easier when Claire was here, my wife, in the first service. I know, I know Claire. We live together. We've been married for 20 years. I know Claire. Uh, it's not like we just send each other letters like um, when Dan was in, my, my oldest son was in grade two, they had this like pen pal um, arrangement with one of the other schools. I think this poor kid in Crawford, Sandton, ended up being Dan's pen pal. And uh, Dan's not much of a guy for words, um, you know, and he would show me these letters. This poor kid at Crawford is just like, written and poured his heart out. And Dan like writes back like three lines like, oh. Hope you're enjoying school, like a life's grad, you know, stay safe, like, or like whatever, like, some, it was like so, like, mm, and then send it off, you know, I was like, bro, they're going to can you from the pen pal program, you know, but like, like even, even with all the writing, they wouldn't get to know each other really well, in person, there's a, there's a kind of knowledge that comes that's different from being pen pals with someone, and this is God's desire that through the Holy Spirit, your knowledge of God would be different, we wouldn't be pen pals, we wouldn't just read his letters, 
and think we know him. But, but we would know. We would know him and be known by him. There's something different. And, and Peter says that in verse 4 that we would, we would share in the divine nature. This is mental. We would share. Because, because you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you would share in the divine nature. Now, I need to clarify that because the way people describe things these days is all a bit, uh, a bit I don't know why I do this, but anyway, it, it helps me understand. Like, it's all a bit hazy. Like you get some people who are like, God is in everything. God's in the trees and all this. Like we're all part of God. God's like this weird ooze that just like fills the world and like we all make up God. And I'm like, uh-uh. No, 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 no. I understand how you get there, but it's not true. Uh, we're not part of... No, Lord bless you. Please don't. <laughs> Please do not do that again. No, oh, I'd say. Um, the divine, the divine nature. <laughs> that was on the divine nature. That that God is not in everything. It's not like God is above. God created. He is not in it all. We don't worship the trees. We worship God who made the trees. He's not in them. And we partake in the divine nature. We don't become God. We don't get like vacuumed up into God, you know. We, all, all that happens is that we become able to be in some ways like God. Parts of our character are transformed and we start to look more like Jesus. We get to share in the nature of God because Holy Spirit is God and indwells us and you get to share in that nature. I mean, that, that thought alone should make you want to go and sit somewhere for the afternoon and be like, how does this work? This is pretty weird and amazing and glorious all at the same time that you are a partaker in the nature of God. That's through the Holy Spirit. Peter's point here is that you and I, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have access to power. And it's not power. It's not like a force, you know. It's a power because it's a person, a person of the Holy Spirit. You have access to the person of the Holy Spirit to change and to grow. As it were, you're, you're accessing a different source of energy to be transformed. I want to share an example, an illustration to help you remember, remember this. This is a picture of my mate's house down in Cape Town. His name is Roger. He's a pastor at a church in Bloberg. Um, this is the front of his house. Now, when they moved in there, I think almost six years ago, they planted those two um, pot plants at the same time. They are the identical plants. As you might, might even know what those things are. I don't know what they are. I've seen them in real life when I was there in December, and they still look exactly the same like this. Planted at exactly the same time, both treated exactly the same. You know, if you've got pot plants, you talk to them, encourage them. Some of you don't have pot plants. You don't know what I'm talking about. But those of us who love plants, you encourage them. You give them everything that they need. They look after them. Both of them have been treated exactly the same. And what, what, what explains the difference? What's going on here? Why does the one look like Ibn Etzebet and the other one looks like Herschel Yankees? If you don't, why does the one look like Zendaya and the other one like Tom Holland? If you don't know, I'm trying grappling for other helpful examples here. Um, anyway, why, why does the one look like Wiseman and the other one looks like Dave? Um, they, they, they didn't know for the longest time what was going on with these things. And then they realized they lifted up that pot on the right. 
and the roots had broken through the bottom of the pot and then made their way through the paving, this brick paving there, through the brick paving and accessed the soil underneath and had grown into the ground there. That pot on the right was accessing different sources of energy and life for it, and that's why it grows like that. The other one is just stuck in the pot. That's what happens when you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You access to divine power. Your roots, as it were, go down into God, and you have an ability and a power to change and be different. It's completely, it's, this is not the self-help kind of ideology. Self-help is a big thing. You go to bookstores, there's a million books on how you can be a better this, be a better that, fix all the stuff that's wrong with you. All of those things, you can put them in a pile and use them to light your, light your bra. They will do that much for you compared to accessing divine power that can transform you at the deepest level. It's a completely different thing. Point number one, you already have everything that you need to grow as a Christian. Point number two is that growth requires effort. Growth requires effort. There is a difference between earning and effort. There's a difference between earning. We understand, because we hammer this again and again, that we don't earn our way to God. We don't get our lives right, jump through hoops, give money, come to church, sort ourselves out, and then God looks at us and says, ha, well done. You can, you can get into heaven. We can have a relationship. We're all good. That's not how it works. The message of the gospel is that Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. He dies in our place, and then as we place faith in him, he gives to us all of his perfection, all of his righteousness, and that allows us to be in right standing with God for all time. It's a gift given. It's not something earned. You don't earn right standing with God. God gives it to you as a free gift of grace through faith. And we rejoice and celebrate and thank God for that. There is no earning that's done. But it doesn't mean that there's no effort. It's not like, okay, look, I'm a Christian, sorted, I'm all good. You know, God sees me the same way he sees Jesus. I'm just going to just chill and relax for the rest of my life. You see all the way through Scripture picture after picture, verse after verse of striving, of effort. The words, the phrase um, Peter uses here in verse 5 is, make every effort. Make every effort to add these things to your character. Not like use it, don't use it, if you've got some time on your hands, you know, if it works for you. No, no, no. Make every effort. Paul describes it like this in Colossians 1, verse 29, his letter to the Colossians. He says, I labor for this, talking about the work that he does with them. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. What's going on there? There's a lot in there. Who's doing the laboring? He is. With what power? God's power that's working in him, bringing strength. So he's striving, but he's not striving with his own power. There's a power that God has put in him to enable him to strive and to do. It's not like I'm on autopilot, God's going to do in my life whatever he wants to do. He says, no, no, I strive, but I have no strength outside of the power that God powerfully works in me. Your progress as a Christian is dependent on your effort being empowered by the Spirit. Does that make sense? It's a Spirit-empowered 
effort. And he says, make every effort. Get serious about this. We have, uh, we have friends who, um, every time they go on holiday, they make a spreadsheet. An Excel spreadsheet. Some of you are thinking, who are these wonderful friends? Can, can I be friends with them? Like, it gives me absolute anxiety um, being around them or going on holiday with them. I mean, Claire and I just like fly by the seat of our pants, like Excel spreadsheet. I, I, trust, I pray, Lord, I never see another Excel spreadsheet. That's how I hope to navigate life. I hate Excel. Um, but like we just hoist stuff in the car and off we go. You know, like, They've got a spreadsheet, a countdown to when they go away. Some of you are like, yeah, what's wrong with that, dude? Like uh, the amount of planning that goes into their holidays, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. I've got other friends who are um, really sporty, lots of really sporty friends who tackle these massive adventure races and like outlandish physical activities. You will not believe the amount of planning and attention to detail and effort that goes into achieving some of these goals long-term. Someone was telling me at the, at the 8 o'clock he's planning to run a 100K race in November somewhere, whatever else, and he's got this whole long plan. And when I said this, he thought I was talking about him. I said, I didn't even know you were planning to run that. I advise against running 100Ks in any direction um, <laughs> unless you've been chased significantly. Uh, but the amount of planning that's going into that goal, imagine if we harnessed some of that intentionality and planning and put it to work in growing as Christians. Imagine you treated your life, your growth with God, the same way you applied effort and energy to other areas of life. What your life would look like. That's when Peter says, make every effort. Strive. Think about it. How do you want to grow? In what areas do you need to grow? How are you going to go about growing as a Christian? Make every effort. Don't just coast. Third point is that growth is progress and not perfection. It's progress, not perfection. In verse 5, it says they make every effort to add to your faith. Faith in Jesus, yes, it's sufficient for saving faith. But Peter's point is like the, the desire, God's desire is that we would add to our faith in Jesus. You would add things that transform your character. And over the years, you would be transformed. You would be shaped. You'd look like a different person because you've added. You've added. He also says in verse 5 that you would possess these qualities in increasing measure. This is God's desire that over the course of your life, you would possess these, some of these qualities in increasing measure. You wouldn't just be like, like a flat line. As you look back over the decades of your life, however long God gives you, you would see that these things have been added in increasing measure. Not to perfection. We're not going to be perfect. We know that. You'll not be perfect until Jesus makes you perfect when you die. But the goal is progress. That should look at your life and think, I'm not the same person I was last year, three years ago, five years, ten years ago. There would be progress in these things. The reality is that progress is often slow. And it's messy. It's, sometimes it feels like three steps forward, two steps back. It, I, I, I'll, I'm going to be the most honest with you that growing as a Christian is hard work in some ways. The striving, even though it's a grace-based, spirit-empowered thing, it's still hard to grow. And sometimes gro growth looks just a bit like a mess. I was so conscious of some of the people that were at the eight 
caught my eye when I was speaking, and I know some of what they've gone through um, in the last couple of years. Some of the hardest years of their life. They would look around and think, I'm in a worse place now than I've ever been spiritually. Are they growing? Yeah, they are. They're experiencing different sides of the mercy and the grace of God. They are being shaped. Their character is being transformed. It may not be what they wanted. It may not be how they wanted. But God doesn't waste a thing. And he's transforming them. And he's showing them grace and faithfulness. And one day they're going to be able to look back and say, God was still with me in the midst of all of that brokenness. And he was the one who was faithful when I was faithless. I never asked for any of those things to happen, but they happened. And God did something in them. God doesn't waste a thing in your life. He doesn't waste grief. He doesn't waste death, disappointment, depression, divorce, sickness, joblessness, anxiety. I could keep going. All the things, the seasons where you thought, I haven't been going forward. You have been growing. Because God grows you through hardship and suffering and good times. He uses all of those things together. That's the reality of how God grows. It's messy. I'm not going to say, you just go like this little, draw a little chart, you know, and you're like, wee, off you go. That's how you grow as a Christian. And zoop, zoop, zoop. But we do grow. It's progress, not perfection. Fourth thing is that God prioritizes character over competence. He prioritizes character over competence. God is more interested in who you are becoming than what you're doing. Who you are becoming than what you're doing. It's not that it's not important what you do with your life and how you live. But like I said last week, you live out of what you believe to be most true. Your core convictions and beliefs drive your behavior. And so God is interested in transforming your character so that your life does look different. Have a look at this list in 2 Peter. It's a list of character things, not competencies, not skills. We're so obsessed with upskilling ourselves. Have you, have you, are you familiar with that term? I mean, maybe in some of your, you go on this training to get upskilled in this and this and this, you get certificates and accreditations and whatever else. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but when it comes to growing as a believer and having your character transformed, this list is deeper things. It's not things that you could do, it's things that you become. It's the kind of person that you are. You contrast this list or you overlay this list with Galatians 5. And Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are character things, guys. They're not competencies. God is interested in the kind of person you are becoming. And, you know, without re-preaching Galatians 5, those are fruit of the Spirit. Those are things that the Spirit of God brings about in you as you stay connected to God. Like a vine, the life is in the vine, but it feeds into the branch. You're a branch that's connected to the vine. As long as you stay in the vine, that fruit does. It, it, it just gets born there the longer you stay. It's not like you have to strive and say, ah! You, know, you don't look at a grape thing and the, the grape uh, vine is like, ah, let's make some grapes. You know, that's just what they do. The branch makes grapes because it's connected to the vine. It just happens because there's life going there. That's what happens in your life. You stay abiding in God, abiding in Jesus. The fruit develops in your life. God is more important, interested in your character than your competence. I'm a professional uh, Christian. Uh, you know, people always send me stuff around what's happening with other pastors and stuff around the world. The last couple of years has been some 
heavy stuff, heavy stories of popular pastors just having complete wipeouts and complete and public wipeouts, which always just hurts the church. It hurts people in the church. It just hurts their families. It's such a mess. And you know what's the same thing again and again in those stories? Is that there was a failure of character, not competency. It's not that their skills let them down. It's that their character let them down. And that the character, they fell in private before it became public. They thought that there was an element of their character that didn't need attention. And they harbored it and blind spotted it and tolerated it. And eventually it caught up with them. And it wiped them out and took others away in the wreckage. And I want to encourage you that if there's an element of your own life where there's a, you know that there's a deficiency in your character, there's some sin, some patterns that you're harboring, and you think it's not going to come out somewhere and cause wreckage for you and others, the Bible has a different story about that. Let's not harbor character deficiencies and secret sin. Let's ask the grace of God to come to bear on those things, that we are transformed. That's the wonder and the power and the joy of the Gospels that you don't have to live in the shadows. You don't have to live with secrets because the gospel can forgive and transform and bring its power to bear on our character in all those hidden places. The fifth thing is that rhythms help us to remember. Rhythms help us with remembering. Why am I saying this? Well, he says that you should strive to add all these character things to your life. But what does he say in verse 9? The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from past sins. Blind, short-sighted, forgotten, cleansing from past sins. Jump to, um, I don't know, I won't get there yet. In verse, I can't remember which verse it is. He describes them uh, as, as those who have forgotten are useless. That's the word he uses there, and unfruitful. I mean, who wants that as the descriptor of your life? Useless. Even saying it, that sounds pretty hard. Like unfruitful. I don't want that said about my life, my walk with the Lord. But what, what causes us to be unfruitful and useless? This is it. It's forgetfulness. That's what he says. The, the reason they lack these things is they've become blind and short-sighted. They've forgotten they've been cleansed of past sins. You have forgotten the mind-numbing work of the gospel and God's, how God has treated you in forgiving your sin and reconciling you to him. Not just a one-off thing, but an ongoing thing. How kind God has been in not treating us as our sins deserve. When we forget that, everything goes sideways. Everything goes sideways. I can guarantee you that some of the biggest problems in your life stem from forgetting the kindness of God in forgiving you your sin if you're a Christian. This is the reason why we should, Martin Luther, the theologian, said we should beat this into our heads. Strong language, but not, not, not far off. Beat it into your head so we don't become forgetful. Have a look at verse 12 to 15 to see how importantly, he, he, what a big deal he thinks this is, is. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it's right, as long as I'm in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder. Since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, and as the Lord Jesus made clear, I will also make every effort so that you're able to recall these things at any time after my departure. 
what is he saying here? Forgetfulness is cancerous to your growth. And he's saying, you know these things. There it is in verse 12. I'm going to always remind you of these things, even though you know them. Some of you are sitting thinking, I know this stuff. You come to church, we are in terrible territory. When you come to church and you think, I know this. Doug, let's do something more exciting. You know, speaking about the gospel. I, I, I know the gospel. I understand these things. Let's do something more like cool. Like, let's do revelation or something. You know, like that's hectic. You know, let's do something exciting and stuff that we don't know. But what our hearts most need is the gospel again and again and again. Even though you know it, and it's, he says you're grounded and established in this truth, I'm going to remind you of it. Because if you forget at all, you become fruitless and useless. If you forget, you become fruitless and useless. And what does he say? I'm going to wake you up with a reminder. Can I just be honest? That's why some of you came to church today. That in the kindness of God, he wants to wake you up with a reminder. I love that. I love that phrase. It's to wake you up with a reminder that God does love you, that God does want you to grow, that God has filled you with the spirit to change. That this is the big deal of your life. Awake up with a reminder about these things. He says in verse 15, this stuff is so important. I want to beat it into your heads that even when I die, you'll still remember it. He says when I'm gone, that you'll still be able to recall these things. That would be, I think, every preacher's um, desire. That if one day Doug Fell will be dead and gone, and some of you may still be alive, my prayer would be that you would remember something that would help you to grow. I'm not around to remind you of the gospel, but you would remember. You would remember, oh yeah, this is, this, is the, this is the message of the gospel. This is how I grow. It's so important because if we forget, we become useless. We need waking up with a reminder. I want to touch on, on one, one thing here quickly, um, and that is uh, that spiritual boredom. As I was working through this message this week, that phrase just, I couldn't escape it, spiritual boredom. I think it's something that affects so many people. Um, spiritual boredom. You're bored, you're bored of God, you're bored with God. Um, you, you can't remember the last time uh, the thought of God or the time with God ever actually energized you. You remember those times, but you've lapsed into spiritual uh, boredom. Uh, you, you come to church, um, and you, you serve, you give, you pray, you go through some of the motions, but if you were honest with yourself, you would say you're spiritually bored. And um, I think that that is, is, a, is a cancerous situation and something that needs to be swiftly addressed and dealt with. How do we overcome spiritual boredom? Well, it's there. We don't forget, and we beat the gospel into our head. That's the way you start. But you change the rhythms. Remember, the point was the rhythms help us to remember. You change the rhythms that lead you deeper into where life really is. Some of the reasons why people are spiritually bored is because uh, we've forgotten God's kindness to us and connected to this. We don't have lots of practical stuff. Most of the practical stuff of this is going to be in the newsletter and, and said through the community groups and stuff. I don't want to go through a whole, like, do this, do this, do this this morning of stuff you should do, but I do want to give you some, a couple of things that I find helpful 
and journey with God that it can help you to grow. One of the things um, is remembering. He says, if you don't remember, then you become fruitless and um, useless. No one wants to end up there. How how do we remember? You slow down. Uh, We live life at such a pace, most people. Even if you're not the busiest person, you're distracted and there's noise. And one of the healthiest spiritual growth disciplines I can suggest you is to have a retreat. To slow things down for a morning or a day and sit down and ask God to remind you so that you remember the faithfulness of God all the way through your life over the last year, over the last five years, and see how God has transformed your character, how he's been faithful, what he's done, how you've grown as a person, how he's done all of these things in your life. And you know, journaling is some, people's, some people like it. Write it down so you can remember it. You don't forget. It's so important to remember, remember, remember. But we live unexamined lives. Most of us, life just goes like this. You're flying through it. Days turn into weeks, we turn into years, we turn into decades, and you don't even know. I've got two teenagers now all of a sudden. What what happened? You know, we're doing baby dedications in the first service. I remember dedicating those children. Now I have teenagers. I'm like, what? You know, luckily I've slowed down enough and I've got books and I can go back and say, okay, you know, life has gone fast, but not too fast. And I'm able to remember and point back to the signs of God's faithfulness and goodness. So get into a rhythm where you are regularly remembering what God has done in your life and through you. The Bible, um, how, do, how do you relate to the Bible? Just, it's very simple. Just read it. And then once you've read it, reflect on what you've read and then pray. This is something Tim Keller mentioned a few years ago, which he found tra- absolutely transformed his relationship with the Lord. And I was like, huh? And then I tried it, and I was like, oh, okay, I understand what you're on about. Most of us just read and then just pray some stuff, if we do that. Read, and then wait, and then reflect and think, meditate on what you've read, and then respond to God in prayer. That simple shift will change your life. Reconfigure your relationship with this thing. If you want to grow as a Christian, you need a healthier relationship with one of these. This is why people are spiritually bored. Because when you're bored, you reach for this rather than this. I do. And I've had to put a whole bunch of controls and things in, on, on my phone and in our house. You would think I'm, I'm, I'm like a phone addict, but I probably am. Most of you are. You, know, you do those tests online, am I addicted to my phone? And it's basically like everyone's addicted to your phone. And you know what? It's making us spiritually bored because we're wired for wonder. And when as soon as we feel anything slowing down, or we're bored with life, we reach for this, which we get lost in it, and then it makes us further bored. Instead of just being able to sit with ourselves and marvel at the world God's made, think God's thoughts after him, engage and meet him in his word, if you don't put new rhythms in place, spiritual boredom will not evaporate. It won't go anywhere. I'll mention one or two others while we've got Silence. Silence will shape you more than many other things. In a world that's wired for noise, something that you can do that's just revolutionary. I have this fight with my kids all the time. I've got three teenagers and a loud eight-year-old. I say to them, give me your phone. 
just go and chill somewhere. No, you don't need music all the time. Oh, I need music. It helps me study, relax. No, you don't need to live your whole life with music. You need some silence in your life. That's what you need. You need to hear your own thoughts and your own voice in your head. That's you. You don't need Miley Cyrus or whoever the heck, Flavor of the Month, Taylor Swift singing you through the days. You just go and just chill and be quiet. And I love silence. I need, as I get older and grumpier, I need more and more <laughs> silence in my life. Glad no one shouted amen there. <clears throat> I need more and more silence. I get up earlier and earlier because we've got birds that are nocturnal at my house there. I don't know what time they get up. I want to just, I'm not going to, but I want to. I don't even want bird noise. I just want quiet. Because I can tell you, in absolute silence, I can hear God clearer than anyone else. You need silence. You need to be on your own. You need to be on your own. Some of you are like, I live on my own. You're like, I don't want to be on my own too much. I need to be with people. You need to balance it. But if you, you know what I mean. If you're the person who's always with everyone else, get alone. Be with yourself and get into some quiet. That'll grow you. Another way you can help with evaporating spiritual boredom is doing something different, doing something new. Most of us are bored because we haven't lived in the, in the deep end. You haven't recently done anything for God or with God that's taken you out of your comfort zone and put you in a place that unless God comes through for you, you will fall flat on your face and look foolish and feel like a failure. And one way to sharpen your walk with the Lord is to put yourself in a deeply uncomfortable place where you desperately need God to help you and come through for you. Some of you, it may just be like teaching kids church. You're like, I could never do that. No, you probably could because God would help you. Some of you need to go on a missions trip somewhere. Some of you need to read the Bible with somebody. Some of you need to befriend a neighbor and try and get them to come to church and have faith conversations. We could keep going. There's a million things where you get yourself into an uncomfortable place where you need the help of God in it. There's nothing that shakes you out of your boredom and your apathy like God coming through and you realizing that he is doing a million things more than we are ever doing. And when we step out there, then you meet him and you see, okay, here we go. God is at the work. I've got examples. I'm running out of time. I've got examples just from this week. Claire and I have made some changes in our rhythms so that we can spend more time with some unbelieving friends of ours. Okay? Made conscious decisions. They're in the calendar. They changed. Who did I see randomly walking past the coffee shop? Yeah. After we made that decision. The wife of the one couple... I haven't seen them for a couple of years. We made a decision. We're going to invite them to a couple of things. There she was coming. Uh, guys, God is out there. He's doing stuff that's going to mess with your head. He's going to mess with you because that's what he's like. In all good ways, I'm not, in all good ways, if you want to walk on water, you've got to step out of the boat. And it's fun walking on water. And I want to encourage you, if you're bored spiritually, get out of the boat. Get out of the boat and trust that he'll help you to walk on the water. I mean, you know what I mean. I'm using the metaphor here. Don't go and try and walk on your pool. I'm going to say two things and then we're going to close, okay, because we're going into injury time. Think of rhythms that can help you remember. Ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Jesus says you don't have because you don't ask. Simple. You don't have because you don't ask. He also said, how much more will my Father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? How much more 
with my Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. If you want to grow, if you want to be changed, you just sit with God and say, Father, would you give me more of the Holy Spirit that I would change and that I would know you more. It's God's great delight to be that. And then sit quietly and answer this question. What is hindering me from growing? What is sidetracking me? What's wiping me out? It might be busyness. It might be rhythms. It might be people that you hang out with and are helping you grow. What is it? Everyone's got their thing. What is stopping you from growing? Bring those to God. Ask for his grace to come to bear. Make changes. It's God's desire is for us to live in the fullness of everything he wants for us. And I'm going to pray for us to experience some of that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you that um, it's your desire that we would know you and be loved by you uh, and, and not, not, not have that as a, a mental thing that we know, but that we would, we would be so convinced um, in all of who we are that we are loved by you, that we are accepted by you, that we are forgiven, that we are made new that we're made alive in Jesus, that we know you, we don't know about you, we know you. You're our father, you're our friend. And that that comes about through faith that you you give us and don't just give us that, but you desire that we would be transformed, that our character would, would change over the days and the weeks and the years, that we would look more and more like Jesus. Thank you that that's your desire and that you give us the Holy Spirit, to empower um, that, to empower knowledge of you and transformation. And, and this morning, we just want to just sit in your presence and say, would you please, Father, would you give us more of the Holy Spirit? Would you give us more that would satisfy the cravings and the longings of our hearts for other things so that we wouldn't run to all those things? And would you empower us afresh in new ways to to grow, to move towards you, to love you, to serve you, to serve your people. We, we don't want to go through religious motions. We don't want to just live in empty, dead lives. We don't want to hear stories of others who, who live life-giving lives with you. We want to experience that. We want to be alive to you in all the fullness of that. We know that this is what you long for us, and so we look to you and say, Father, please come and fill us. Help us move things out of our lives that uh, cause us to forget you and trip us up as we try and grow. Help us to be ruthlessly honest about those things. Help us to put new rhythms in place. But we do pray that you would breathe life into us and over us again this morning. That we would truly walk through life full of joy, full of the life of Jesus Christ. That it would change us, it would change our church, it would change our communities. Thank you that you desire to do this more than we desire it, and we pray that you would do it for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.